Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we're offering three conversations from our podcast discussing the recent article titled Preparing for the Nash Epidemic, A Call to Action. This was endorsed by eight organizations and four specialties. In this conversation, our panel discussed the importance of education, new therapies, metrics, and guidelines, in that order, in converting this vision to reality. The group went on to discuss the importance of patient stories and experiences as a potent way to motivate the broader medical community to approach fatty liver disease with the seriousness it deserves. This article points the way towards a more enlightened view of patient treatment and multidisciplinary cooperation in the future. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. And now, back to Roger. I think all this is fantastic. One of the things we were talking about with, with Jeff Lazarus and Jorn last week was the idea that if you activate patients and the only place they go is the hepatologist, the hepatologist won't have time to deal with it. So that really, it's almost that you've got to come at this from, from at least two directions, which is patient motivation is important, but educating physicians beyond the hepatology community to actually know what to do and why it matters to do it is also important because otherwise you're simply not going to have enough uh, physicians or enough healthcare providers to treat the patients that are going to emerge. So that's, I think, really exciting. My question, I guess, is what do we think it will take, what do you think it will take, Ken, Stephen, Tony, different perspective, to actually get a significant portion of, say, the primary care community or some of the other specialty communities to the place where they will be activated, where they'll be responsive to patients in the way that Tony wants them to, or where they step up on their own and they say, gee, we need to look at you more seriously. What do you think it'll take us to get there? A comment and review from Louise Campbell. There was no patient stakeholders. There was no other allied professionals, so particularly nursing. And from the Jeff Lazarus, Jean Schattenberg discussion from the week before, their models were very, and their care models were very nursing focused, where they picked excellent models. Most of the times that a nurse will sit with a patient, they'll get a completely different response from a patient than a physician will. A lot of patients do sugarcoat it. Yes, doctor, I'm fine, doctor. And then the minute the doctor leaves the room, they tell a different story. Ken Cousy. Well, I'll do a first shot at it. So number one is to understand that this is something really important. I still get, I don't want to bash my peers in the technologists or, or, or even primary care, but they still say, I've never seen somebody with cirrhosis in my clinic. I'm sure, Steve, I've heard that. And when you put a fiber scan, a diagnostics test in the clinic, all of a sudden you see, wow, oh yeah, this is real. It's like we didn't have any osteoporosis until we used bone densitometers and it is out there. Or even diabetic nephropathy, if you don't measure it and you don't know until once they're in dialysis. And then when they get really sick, they go to see Stephen, to the hospital and back home. They don't see anybody else after that. And I think that has to change. And it only will change with this call for awareness. And what is exciting about this call to action is that the American Diabetes officially agreed to do this and Endocrine Society and ACE, the three big players, and it's published simultaneously in Diabetes Care and in the Journal of ACE and in Metabolism, which is another journal. So finally, it's going through the main channels. The second thing is, as Steve probably is thinking of and mentioned, is having treatments that are FDA approved. That is going to be a game changer, any treatment, because because now you are liable of not doing anything. Well, if there's no FDA-approved drug, well, I mean, there's nothing approved. However, I have to say that there are medications that can reverse the inflammation, what you call the steatopatitis, in about half the patients that are pioglitazone that costs less than $5 a month and semaglutide that also has been approved recently for the management of obesity or vitamin E. These drugs have caveats and plus and minus things that you have to 
look into. In the questionnaire that we did and, and it's published in the paper, half of the people know pioglitazone works, but still don't use it. But only about 20% or less knew that semaglutide could work. And this is six months after a big paper in the New England and Steve was very active in that study too. So I think education on both ends, patients and clinicians connecting knowledge with action is, is it takes time. Roger, remember the cholesterol campaigns started very slow despite the fact that statins were coming out. So all these things take time, but hopefully with media, better use of media, this is going to be faster than in the past. Stephen Harrison. You know, in a, in a little bit of a analogy, and I might take some heat for this, could look at the, the COVID vaccination campaign. It takes time to get the word out and to overcome people's concerns, fears, whatever reason they've got. And just because there's one New England Journal paper published on semaglutide in the setting of NASH, it doesn't mean it suddenly overnight becomes the gold standard or, or ubiquitous in people's pathways and the way they manage patients. Pyoglitazone, obviously, uh, Ken, you and I have been talking about that since the early 2000s. And of course, you're... 2006, Steve. We've been 15 years on this. <laughs> that's when the paper came out, but we were working on it long before that, right? Yeah, um, that's true. So I really honestly believe we have come at this in stovepipes. We've come at this in fractured, well-intentioned ways of trying to deliver the message, but it's never really gained the kind of traction and momentum that it needs. And I think, and I hope that with where we are in drug development, where we are with patient advocacy groups beginning to work on that groundswell, a movement takes Really, there's one person that starts it, and when the second person validates the movement, things actually begin to happen. So we see that happening. Even today, we have two patient advocacy groups on our podcast, and there are more around the world. They're beginning to come together and drive the message to the patients. We have drug development that's so close to being toward the finish line, and now we've got kind of a collective mindset coming together across multiple different specialties, delivering this call to action. We're just living in the, the moment of a new galaxy forming. It's hard to say what it's going to look like, but it's coming together and it's going to be terrific at the end. We'll deliver that message and we'll provide care to patients that need it. As you mentioned, Ken, there is therapy out there right now. It is limited in some of our guidance document to diagnose steatohepatitis. So we've got to kind of make that diagnosis if we want to follow the guidelines. But it's just finding those patients and encouraging patients to come forward and say, look, test me. Do I have this disease? And then primary care or endocrine or GI to say, okay, what's the best way to do that? And then follow an algorithm that involves two different testing strategies, either an imaging study followed by a blood-based biomarker, two biomarkers of some sort to really get at this. And the beauty of all of these test is their negative predictive value. And that's the 80% solution, right? If we can exclude those that don't need further workup, that's where our tests are best utilized. It's where do we pigeonhole those people if one test is abnormal? Well, then we need to go prove it with another test and then get those people on to care that they deserve. 
Andrew Scott. I couldn't agree more, Stephen. You know, what I was saying right before I dropped was that it is going to take this collective effort. The amazing studies that Penn and, and all the other societies have come together and produced, we've been using some of that data in our outreach efforts to Capitol Hill. I mentioned earlier, you know, we sent a letter with many of those same societies, even highlighting some of Ken's research in that letter to the United States Preventative Services Task Force and advocating that for all patients with diabetes, there should be a conversation about NASH, as Stephen was just mentioning, you know, getting the patients the time to tell their story, but pairing that with the data and the studies. We can have the collective effort of the community. It's exciting that things like this are starting to come out. Studies, you know, it was part of our recommendations from our U.S. NASH Action Plan. We're excited to see it come forward. I mean, it's going to take more, though. I mean, obviously, as Stephen mentioned, advocacy, changing policy, developing full public health plans and programs, it, it, it takes time. But hopefully, with a collective effort, research, backing, the patient stories, and obviously, advocacy organizations like Tony's and GLI, and then others, you know, medical societies and more working together, we'll be able to kind of move the needle on this. Tony Viliotti. If I could just touch on one point, you know, one thing Ken said earlier was that you know there's a lot of PCPs that haven't seen other patients progress to cirrhosis from fatty liver. As these PCPs see that happening, in my case, my PCP had not seen that happen. He saw it happen with me, and now he takes a much more aggressive role in counseling patients. Now that's kind of a one-by-one approach, which could take forever. That's a factor at play as well. As more doctors see PCPs in particular, see this happening with their patients, it's going to drive greater interest as well. Yeah, Tony, you know what I call that? There's a phrase for that. It's heart transformation leads to behavioral modification. And that goes for doctors as well as it does patients. And that's anecdotal. Every single doctor that you talk to, Ken and I included, may not change our practice based on one double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial, but we dang sure will based on one single anecdotal experience. True. So when Tony turns his experience into that fantastic video that they did and gets it played on public television and places and things like that. Do doctors who watch that, does that aid the process of transformation? Is that kind of quasi-anecdotal or is that one step removed from what most people will consider real in the physician community, do you think? Well, I think it plays a big role, but again, tied with good science and with things to do. I mean, with the work we did with Steve and published in 2006, also in the New England and followed by Pivens in 2010 and some other work we've done, it breaks my heart when I see a patient like I saw just an hour ago because that person had diabetes. And my hope is that the medications for diabetes can be used to treat diabetes, but at the same time hit a second endpoint like NASH. If this person would have taken pioglitazone in 2011, this person wouldn't be today with cirrhosis. And again, it's a cheap medication. And again, the typical thing that I hear, well, it causes some weight gain, two, three kilos of weight and again, I ask people, would you rather have cirrhosis or, or gain weight, which is preventable with intensive lifestyle. Moreover, now with semaglutide, you can induce weight loss in that combination. So again, these are the things that, that a story like Tony mentions could be paired with the evidence to really change medical practice. I totally track, Ken. The, idea, the statement that didn't have to happen is really powerful. I, I agree completely. 
And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about this content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next Wednesday, August 25th, with our guest, Dr. Arun Sanyal, to examine the different issues and opportunities offered by fibroblast growth factors, or FGF agents. FGF21 agents are pointing the way towards an exciting therapeutic future. And I can't imagine two better teachers on this subject than Arun Sanyal and Stephen Harrison. It's an important topic, and we're thrilled to bring this episode to you. I hope you will join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.